You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Here is your host, Jonathan Robinson-Lees. Eloise Short is a textile designer and illustrator working with some of the world's biggest brands and creating a number of children's books in recent times. Growing up in Brisbane, Eloise immersed herself into arts and innovation, developing a love for creativity from a young age. Through her experiences, Eloise has developed a clear perspective on her work and a commitment to always honing her craft. Attending art college in her 20s broadened Eloise's horizon and uncovered a love for textile design, which she carries through to this day. More recently, Eloise has moved into illustrating children's books, collaborating with local author Jodie McLeod on Leonard the Lyrebird and Lila the Lyrebird. Eloise joins us virtually for the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Eloise, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Eloise, as a textile designer, and an illustrator, you described that success is only seen when you look at the culminative effect of your work over many years. Has that always been your perspective on your work or is that something that you've developed more recently? Uh, it's probably something I have come to realise more recently. I think, I think um, looking back, you, you reach certain milestones and you think that's going to suddenly feel like success. And all of a sudden, you start striving for the next goal or whatever it is. So I think, yeah, I think I've just come to realise that success is actually is a whole lot of little achievements put together over many years. And there's, and there's not one sort of defining thing that makes you feel as though you've achieved a level of success in your industry. Yeah. And your work is quite varied from creating patterns for clothing companies to illustrating children's books. How important is it for you to have that clear mind and to really know your own measure of success rather than being judged by others? Yeah, I suppose one, well, actually one thing that you brought up then, which is interesting is that I have uh, quite a wide uh, spectrum of what it is that I do. And in some ways over the years, I felt that that has maybe been a hindrance in that, a lot of artists or illustrators can become um, known or, or sort of um, uh, considered more successful for some particular thing that they do. And, and so I guess that, that to me often sees, often appears to be success because they sort of become really well known for some particular thing. And I have done and still do quite a large variety of things which, um, which don't necessarily visually um, hang together um, all the time. And, and so I suppose I've had to make my peace with that over the years as an artist in that I, I, I don't necessarily have a thing or a look or something that I've become sort of um, known for or successful at particularly. And I've, I've just come to accept that what I do is actually quite varied and that's kind of part of my whole sort of package as an illustrator, artist, designer, is that I, I just do a whole lot of different things, basically. 
And when you had that clarity of thought, you know, when you're at peace at it, did you find it kind of unlocked the shackles? Were you able to kind of push ahead a lot more with your work? Yeah, I think it did actually. I think, yeah, making peace with what it is that you do well and also making peace with, uh, because often there's, um, there's a gap between what it is that you want to do and what it is that you actually do. And I will, um, it's very easy to, to get distracted by looking at other people's work and thinking, oh, that's amazing. I wish I did that. Um, and, and so making peace with what it is that you actually do and embracing that is actually a big part, I think, of my recent sort of um, what I feel is um, my sort of, yeah, my recent success as a, as a designer and illustrator is just accepting what it is that I do and what I do well and, and, and just doing it. So, yeah. And is there pressure within the industry, either internally or externally, to judge things with a binary lens that, you know, that is good, that is bad, or is there more of a sense of it's about getting things out there and producing content rather than judging how good or bad it may be. Yeah. Well, that's also been something interesting that I have um, looked at in recent years. So, um, so when social media came along, um, uh, particularly Instagram, it's, it's a platform that is really suited to artists and illustrators or anybody, you know, doing, um, visual things because it's sort of it's a it's a connection point so all of a sudden you can see what people are doing and you can see their a full range of their work and then they're updating it all the time um and so all of a sudden it actually allows you to see that people um people doing almost anything actually find their audience which actually does make it really clear that um there uh, there is no such thing as this is good and this is bad or this, you know, this is good art, this is bad art, good illustration, bad illustration. It's actually just about what people like. And there is actually pretty much an audience for almost anything <laughs> I've discovered as an illustrator and artist. You will, you will find your people and yeah, yeah. With a potentially more cluttered market, I guess, have you found it's been more important to really double down on your strengths and, and own your style to make sure that there's a point of differentiation in the market? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, as I said, I have struggled a little bit with style over the years and, you know, some designers and illustrators or artists seem to sort of be born as these fully formed artists who have such a clear vision of what they want to do and what that looks like. Um, and that was never such a clear cut process for me. It's definitely been a slow evolution. And yeah, more and more in recent years, I guess I have just stopped, um, stopped trying to take on outside influence and just, yeah, just do what it is that I, that I do. And that seems to be going quite well. And whilst a lot of it's, I guess, the, the intrinsic uh, approach to, to your art. You were also successful in winning the Whitley Award and the finalist for the Koala Award for your illustration. What kind of gratification and achievement do you get from that recognition? Uh, yeah, it's a nice, it's a certainly a nice thing to be recognised um, by, you know, a professional body within your industry. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely, it feels like it's a nice achievement. I, I'm, I'm proud of that work. Um, 
and yeah, it's great to have that kind of formal recognition. Uh, uh, I suppose one thing though, um, and I don't think this is unique to me or to illustrators uh, or artists generally, I think it's across lots of creative disciplines, but uh, sort of six months after you've done something, you look at it and think, I could have done that better. And so, <laughs> so when, you, when you are collecting an award for something that you've done six months or a year earlier, and it's such an honor, but then you're also, you're also looking at that work going, if I was doing it now, I would just redo that and make that a bit better. And so it's sort of, it's a slight double-edged sword there in that it's a proud moment, but you also wish you could fix it. <laughs> I've had uh, other artists and musicians, other creatives on the podcast. And a, a common question is, how do you go about balancing that where, sure, we want everything to be perfect, but if you spent every hour of every day seeking perfection, you wouldn't actually produce anything. How do you balance that, the, the need to produce content, but also be happy with what is maybe not perfection? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think all you can do is get something to what you believe is a... Uh, a level of not necessarily perfection because I don't know that that actually exists but get your work to a level that you are happy with that day and sign off on it and then you just have to accept that you're going to you're going to come back and revisit that work six months 12 months five years later and see how much you've grown and see how you could do it better but I think you just actually have to make that mental decision to to sign off on something knowing that you will definitely look back at it differently down the track. But yeah, as you say, if you never did that, you would never ever put anything into the world. You just, yeah, you wouldn't do it. So it's just, yeah, it's just a decision you've got to make. Eloise, you grew up in Brisbane, Queensland. What was your childhood like? I had a very idyllic childhood actually. Um, I came, I have a, a sister who's two years older than me and two fantastic parents. And I grew up in the Northern suburbs of Brisbane in a pretty free range uh, childhood, probably not as free range as, you know, country kids or anything like that, but still pretty free range and um, a very creative uh, upbringing. My mum was a, uh, an art teacher and uh, was, had quite a lot of sort of creative ideas and um, influence over my sister and I. So yeah, so we had a, we grew up on a, a, a river. So we had a lot of sort of times um, free ranging around the river and the local area. Um, and then lots of creative times at home. And yeah, it was a, it was a great childhood. How much do you think you learned in terms of resilience and fortitude by having that kind of upbringing, the ability to learn and explore, to stumble, to pick yourself up? Is that uh, something that you look back on fondly? Well, I don't know that I was a hugely resilient child and teenager, to be honest. I actually think that my resilience probably was sort of forced uh, in my 20s, I think. I did have such supportive parents and even though there was sort of a, a free-ranging kind of um, uh, upbringing, I think, I think um, sort of emotional resilience actually didn't come until a bit later for me when I moved out of home and moved into state 
and moved state and then studied interstate and then moved again to another state a few years later. I think having to, um, I think basically picking up and moving to a city, two cities where I knew virtually no one and trying to, you know, create a life for yourself. I actually think that is more when my resilience kicked in. And do you think that's something you will encourage your children to do when they get to that age is to go out to explore the world, whether it's locally or abroad, and, and to put themselves outside their comfort zone to grow? I'd like to think that I'll be capable of doing that right now. <laughs> right now, when I look at them and they're seven and nine, I think, okay, you can just live with me forever. Um, I'll, I'll build a granny flat for you in the backyard. But no, I, I would like to think that I will encourage my children to go out and, and, and do that for themselves. And I'm sure they will, because I think kids, they, they want to do it. They get to that point where they want to kind of make that break from their, their families. And I think it's hard to visualize that at the moment because they're so little, but I know with friends uh, who have older children, you watch it's an evolution where they just start to let go little by little. Um, so yes, hopefully I can do that for my children. <laughs> and you spoke about the role you know, your mother was an art teacher, you had creativity at your fingertips. Do you recall the feeling as a young girl, what it felt like to be immersing yourself into art? Yeah, absolutely. I know that as a kid, I, um, I never got bored because for me, there was always the option to just sit down and draw. And I definitely did spend many hours doing that. Uh, and I guess it was, that was a big part of uh, contentedness for me and happiness as a child was that, and I never, I've never felt lonely. Um, uh, I've always been able to spend lots of time by myself because if I'm <clears throat> doing something um, creative, then it's consuming all of my um, mental energy. And yeah, I, I, I find that's a really happy place for me to be. What influence did school have on that creativity? Were you able to, to channel that through your different subjects or did you find it quite restrictive for you? Uh, no, I did all the creative subjects at school. I did, yeah, I did art, drama, and obviously everybody does English. But yeah, no, I had a, I had a very, uh, oh, and I played, that's right, I played instruments and I was in bands. And so I was very much immersed in the creative arts. And so there was probably never any doubt that I was going to go on and do something in the creative arts with my life down the track. And, and I don't actually think I genuinely ever considered any other option. Um, so yeah, it's, it's being a part of the yeah, creative arts has very much been my life for forever. Yeah. Was there a specific role within the creative arts that you thought you might become, you know, in your, your high school years, something you visualized? Well, I actually thought I would be an artist, a, a sort of a straight up artist. I suppose I didn't really necessarily understand what that entailed, but that seemed like the most straightforward option to me. And I did go to uh, art college straight out of high school, which I loved. It was fantastic. Um, but I think the art world is quite... Um, quite complicated and it has its own set of rules and 
uh, I, I came out of art college a little bit disillusioned uh, and, and yeah, really was a bit lost in terms of what it was that I wanted to do as an artist. So yeah, that sort of changed for me somewhere along the line. And then I discovered that textile design was a thing that I'd never even really heard of before. Although obviously there's evidence of it everywhere and there all, that has been for centuries, but it never, it hadn't sort of occurred to me that you could actually be a textile artist or a textile designer. So um, yeah, so I sort of, it I, my idea of being an artist evolved into being a textile designer and that has actually suited me much more over the years than being a, a, a fine artist or a contemporary artist. Touching on your time at art college, which came about after hours and hours of um, accumulated work, whether it was you know at, at school or at home, what do you think you learned most from a professional level um, at your time at art college? Uh, well, I think I, I think I learned that art was actually something quite different to what I thought it was, which is probably why I ended up realising that, yeah, that being an artist wasn't necessarily, I wasn't necessarily suited to that. So I think I, I, can, I come at art from a, from a probably from a, um, more from a technical perspective and a problem solving perspective rather than uh, an ideas perspective. And so when I got to art college, it was very much about concept and ideas. And I probably didn't actually have that much to say in terms of concept and ideas as a 17 year old from a, a fairly um, sheltered, happy, um, upbringing in the suburbs of Brisbane. I, so I, I don't know that I had all that much to contribute to sort of the canon of ideas in the world at that point in time. Um, and I think that art college sort of opened my eyes to the fact that art was actually about much more than how well you could draw or paint. Um, and yeah, so perhaps it just, it taught me, it taught me more, it taught me about the bigger picture of art in the uh, overall scheme of things. And then, yeah, and then it, consequently, I sort of realised that perhaps, perhaps sort of taking that off on a tangent of design was something more suited to me and my, my ability. Yeah. The time at college, Eloise, was it a, an even split between practical work and theory work? Was it yeah. more favoured you know, favored one way than the other? Uh, it was probably more practical work, yeah. So both, and so then after I did fine art, I, I did go back and study textile design as well. And both of those degrees were very much practical degrees. So it was probably 80% practical and 20% theory. Um, and so I think my essay writing skills got progressively worse as I went through university because there was so few and far between. I think I probably peaked at essay writing in year 12. Um, so yeah, they were very much practical based courses, which was perfect. I mean, I loved, I loved that. And that's still ultimately what I love doing is just practicing the craft. Yeah. Was there an expectation then for you that you had an appreciation or an understanding of artists that had come before you, you know, whether it was decades or centuries prior. And, and did you find yourself drawn to, to learning about the history of it? 
Yeah, absolutely. So there's yeah, there's definitely uh, a component of learning about your uh, those those people in your industry that have come before you and sort of paved the way. Um, and yeah, I love learning about uh, artists and and textile designers that that have sort of created the industry that I'm now a part of. And you know, there are just so many. Um, I, I mean, I love I love looking at art. I love looking at other people's art. I love looking at other people's design, illustration, textile design. I, you know, I get a lot of satisfaction from that. So, so yeah, um, learning about other people's work and being influenced and inspired by it is still yeah a big part of of um, my work, my practice today. Although trying less, as I said earlier, trying less to, you know, rely on um you know looking at the way other people have done things to guide you how you're going to do things like you've got to you've got to take all that that in and then at some point you've got to kind of do your own thing this is the passion and perspective podcast brought to you by sporting chance media for three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. And early on was there a particular artist or multiple artists that really influenced your work in those early days? Um, I mean, I think when I was a kid, the, the um, impressionists were, there was sort of shows coming over from, from Europe. And I remember I, when I was 13, I thought I, I was so inspired by the work of Van Gogh and I thought he was, just a master, which he is. Um, and Matisse was another one in my very early, um, very early years, um, who I, whose work I loved and still admire. Um, probably now I look at more contemporary artists and illustrators uh, and, and sort of have them as my inspiration. But yeah, you've caught me, caught me off guard there. I haven't, haven't got a definitive list in my head. <laughs> And the shift, Eloise, from fine arts to textile design, what hooked you early on? What was it about the textile design that really drew you in? So I found in my art, I was starting to make art that actually had an element of pattern in it, pattern and design in it. And I can't remember if this was before, if this was a direct result of, or if it was before I went, I did some backpacking around um, Europe with my sister when I was in my early 20s. And one of the places we visited was Portugal. And well, two of the places we visited, visited were Portugal and Spain. And both of those places had um, uh, quite a lot of um, ornate pattern within the architecture, the, the historical architecture. Uh, I think particularly in Spain, it was the, the Turkish influence um, from sort of a few centuries before. And I found that all the photographs I was taking while I, I was over there were all sort of close-ups of the patterns. So that interest in textile design, 
probably early on actually came from architecture rather than from fashion. Uh, and so when I got back from that trip, I had um, discovered that uh, RMIT had a textile design course. And that's when I thought, oh, I can actually, this is the thing I can do. And so it was, yeah, it was sort of a slow process of realization that the art that I was starting to make was leaning in that direction and that there was an actual practical application out there for it. Do you think looking at the education system as it stands that is there too much pressure, do you think, on people having to make a decision straight out of school in, in, in terms of where they're going to head? Like using yourself as an example there, it took um, some study, it took some overseas travel to really uncover. Do you think kids and young adults these days are kind of pushed into careers too early? Uh, I think, I don't, well, I don't know exactly how it is these days. I know it is definitely more common for kids these days to have a gap year or to have some time off between finishing school and studying, but I absolutely think that is a fantastic idea because I think it is really hard for uh, kids to know what they want to do uh, and commit to it in the form of a degree, which, you know, can be fairly expensive. And if you then change your mind when you finish it, which I suppose can happen at any point in your life. But yeah, I do think, I do think um, giving kids time to decide what they want to study cannot be a bad thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, who knows if, if I hadn't gone and done fine art straight after art college, I don't know what that, maybe I would never would have bothered. Maybe I would have gone straight to textile design. I'm not sure. But, um, but yeah, I just think you finish school at 18 and I think, how are you supposed to know what you want to do for the rest of your life? I, it just seems mind boggling. Yeah. And whilst you were studying, the textile design, Eloise, did you have that thought of, I'm going to make a career out of this? Did you know where you wanted to take it? Or it was more, I'm going to develop my skills, I'm going to hone my skills and see what doors open up? No, I absolutely, with that, with that, so halfway through my fine art degree, I sort of realised that in terms of career options, there really wasn't a solid career path. You can't sort of finish art college and go and get a job as an artist. It's very much a case of you know spending 10 years working on it and then sort of hoping that you come up with that you know uh, you find your you find what it is that you do and then hopefully find someone that likes it and wants to buy it whereas textile design there very much is a career path where you you can you finish your degree and then there are jobs advertised for textile designers so that was a big factor in doing that degree that I knew that I would have hard and fast job opportunities at the end of it. Um, I wasn't sure exactly which direction I would take it in, though I was interested in uh, yeah, fashion textiles by the time I finished. And I did end up going straight from uni to working for a Sydney textile design studio that designed um, very much for the fashion industry. So it did that, that sort of direct path pretty much did happen with textile design. And then since then, it's sort of taken a few twists and turns, but I'm still more or less doing fashion textile design with illustration kind of thrown in there now. The design and patterns that you've pulled together over the years have been used for local and global companies, including Calvin Klein, Peter Alexander, Tiger, Tiger Lily, to name a few. How did you go about balancing that love and leisure for design and art, but then it also becoming work? Because you do hear some people say that when a passion or a hobby becomes a work, 
work, you lose the love for it. Did you find that a challenging balance? No, not at all, actually. And weirdly enough, now I find that I'm not particularly interested in sitting down and just doing a drawing for the sake of doing a drawing. I have to have a purpose or an end goal or I just, I'm just not that interested anymore. So for me, I love having, um, you know, a brief or knowing that it's going to end up um, being used for something. Uh, I think it's, so even if you do a design, so with the company I first worked for, you would uh, create your designs and they'd go into a pool of designs, which would then get shown to any number of retailers, fashion retailers. Um, and it, you wouldn't even necessarily know where those designs ended up some of the time. I mean, there's a, lot, a whole lot of my designs that I never even know where they've ended up. Um, but I think it is that internal brief that you're, even if you, you don't have a specific client that you're designing for, you're imagining what your end product is going to be. And for me, that is absolutely my driving factor these days. Yeah, if I don't, if I don't have a, an end product or a brief in mind, I would rather read a book. <laughs> and are you okay with knowing that that piece may or may not get picked up, that it might get bounced around the retailers? Are you at, at peace with that? Yeah, well, there is actually a lot of wastage in that type of design that I used to do, and I'm doing less of that now, but there is a huge amount of wastage in that industry where, so designers, uh, you know, the, the, the studio of designers will create a whole lot of designs and only, I don't know, let's say 60, 70% of them will ever sell. sell. So there's 30% of work that people do that will just basically end up being in the uh, design graveyard. Uh, and yeah, sometimes I do look back and think oh, that's a lot of like time that has just sort of, you know, ended up as nothing. But then I suppose it's all, it's all um, skill development and, um, you know, things learnt along the way. But yeah, it's, that's, that's a, an interesting observation. There is, there is a whole lot of work that just ends up doing nothing. Yeah. And is that a perspective that you would pass on to perhaps people starting out that, you have to view everything as an experience, as a learning. It's not all going to lead to success or financial gain, that it is actually just about doing the best you can and growing from that experience. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I still think uh, I still, you know, as I said earlier, I look back at things I did five years ago or six months ago sometimes. And I think, Oh, wow. I could do, I could do so much better than that now. Like you're constantly, your skills are constantly evolving. So I suppose there is, there is nothing that's a waste. It's always, you're always learning from, from it. I don't know if that myth about, well, if it's a myth or if it's true about the 10,000 hours, but I think 10,000 10, hours to make you really good at something. But I think it's all just clocking you 10,000 hours, um, creating work, some of which is successful and plenty of which is not. Do you think, Eloise, that there's a, an appreciation for that uh, experience and learning? And, and what I mean by that is in this day and age, there seems to be a bit of a sense of anyone can become an expert at anything. And we've almost, uh, we're almost not valuing crafts like yours and others as much as we probably should because people mm -hmm. think that they can become that expert. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because talking about Instagram earlier, where I said you you, you know what I have noticed uh, with Instagram, uh, which you know which is a good thing, is that there is um, there is a market. I don't know if market's the right word. Um, 
you can find your your base um, pretty much with anything that it is that you anything that you do. Yeah, but so what? Sometimes I so I, you look at you look at work and and I would look at that look at some particular person's work and I would not necessarily like I would perhaps if they were somebody who was a textile designer who didn't have a lot of experience I could probably see that in their work and other experienced textile designers would be able to see it um, but not everybody can and I don't know if that matters or not if you know what I mean like if if there are people who love what you're doing even if you don't have that level of expertise then does it matter? But I suppose, <laughs> I suppose then there are people who really, you know, do plug away at things for, you know, hours and weeks and years. And you'd like to think that there is a difference in, in what you're doing to what somebody who's, you know, spent six weeks doing it. You mentioned before that you like to know the brief, you like to know what the end product's going to look like. Do you still find though that at the, the start of the process that there is still that bit of exploration that yes, you know where it might end up and yes, you know what you roughly want it to look like, but through the process that can quite that design can change a fair bit? Yeah, sure can. Um, I wish I wish sometimes I had more control because then I would end up probably saving myself a lot of time. But yeah, I mean I I after many years of experience, I do think that I I can make something work regardless of what it is that I had in mind to start with. But it, yeah, it isn't necessarily what I thought it was going to be. And sometimes that is frustrating because I will think I've got a really clear idea in my head of what something's going to be. And then by the time I finish it, it it's, it's perhaps it's a successful design anyway in its own right, but it isn't necessarily anything like what I had in mind. I wish I wish I I wish I was better at doing that. But I suppose that's part of it. And there's, um, as I said, uh, you know, there's a million different ways of of um, creating a design. And so it's all those little decisions you make along the way. Um, and so the, the the variations are endless. And so sometimes you do end up quite a long way from what it is that you you had in your mind to start with. And through the process, Eloise, you're pulling on your real life experiences? Are you pulling on past artwork to help shape that design or is it more just kind of an interpretation of perhaps what the brief is? Yeah, so drawing on things that you've done before. Yeah, absolutely. You do continue to, that, that, like there's certain mediums now that I work in that I keep returning to because I, I feel like I'm, got, I, I'm more confident of getting the outcome that I want to get. So yeah, you're absolutely drawing on that. Sometimes when you've had a break from using a particular medium and you come back to it after a while, you sort of, you do, it does take you a little while and you think, have I ever, some days I feel like I've never picked up a pen or I've never painted with this medium before. And then it all starts, starts to come back. Um, and sometimes I do actually look at old work to think, oh, how would, have I, how would I have approached that in the past? And that, reminds me of you know how I can approach something this time because you do yeah you do you do draw on that but you also forget some of the skills you've learned along the way this is the passion and perspective podcast brought to you by sporting chance media
For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Eloise, in addition to being a textile designer, as we mentioned, you're also an illustrator specifically in children's books. We, you worked on the project of Leonard and Lila the Lyrebird with Jodie McLeod, who we had on the Passion and Perspective podcast. Shifting into the illustration and the books, how does the process go from kind of idea to, to output and, and how involved are you from, from start to finish? Yeah, so... Uh, Leonard, Leonard the Library was the first, um, that was the first book I had ever worked on, which was great. And so, yeah, Jody just approached me with the story, which I thought was lovely. And then we sat down together um, once everything was ready to go. And we sort of went through page by page and just discussed ideas about how I visualised it and how she visualised it and where that overlapped or if she had an idea that was going to work a whole lot better than an idea that I had. So we, we sort of sat down together, went through that. And so then I kind of um, had uh, the, the sort of roughly sketched book that I would refer back to um, with each page. And mostly I actually stuck, stuck to those first ideas. They usually, you, you usually know if something is going to work. There's only a few that got completely sort of changed. Um, so, yeah, it was very much, it was a very straightforward process. And I think that was partly working with Jodie too. She was really clear in, in her creative direction and um, really on point with sort of um, making things work. But mostly, yeah, the, the, the early concept then evolved into a more detailed sketch, which then evolved into a painting. And so it was a fairly straightforward um, process. Um, the things that I wasn't so great at, that being my first book, were things like making sure the expression on the characters' faces reflected the mood, the mood or whatever was happening in that page, which was where Jodie was fantastic because she's coming at it from that point of view of wanting to communicate what's happening as clearly as possible. And so that was where her input was really valuable in that she would sort of say, yeah, that's all looking great and it's working really well, but, you know, Leonard looks like he's, you know, smiling when he's meant to be feeling sad and I go oh that's right I need to make the eye look sad and not happy that kind of thing. Did you feel a sense of or a duty of responsibility in that process Eloise only because for a lot of kids they're drawn to the words and the story and that storyline is crucial but for a lot of kids reading the books like they, they are drawn to the pictures so did you feel a bit of pressure or, or responsibility through that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because when I was a kid, I was very much focused on pictures when I was looking at books. And I, uh, one thing that we, we did talk about and we did um, make a point of doing with this book was having lots of little, um, not subplots, not that sophisticated, but just lots of little characters um, as points of interest within the illustration uh, that were sort of happening alongside the main plot of the story. And that was, yeah, that was done with um, kids like what I was like as a kid in mind, um, knowing that, yeah, kids will just absolutely sort of hone in on the illustrations and look at all the details. So, yeah, I definitely wanted to 
do as good a job as I could possibly do. And I think sometimes too, um, with illustration, there's what adults like to look at in terms of illustration and then there's what kids like to look at. And often what adults like to look at is maybe more uh, an abstract interpretation of, of a narrative. Um, but I know that a lot of kids will, will look at something and if the picture doesn't actually truly reflect or reflects in a more abstract way what's happening, they'll find that quite confusing. So it was also about simplifying the message and just trying to um, communicate as clearly as possible what was actually happening in the story. And how did you go about moving into the second book, Lila, The Lyrebird? Was it an easy transition to pick it up and go again or did you kind of feel like you had to go back to, to square one and pick it all up again? No, it was easy actually because with the first book, um, a lot of the work I had done, well not having done a kid's book before, but the work I had been doing prior to that had been a, a combination of hand-drawn and then um, computer coloured and arranged sort of work. So it was, it was a combination of hand-drawn and digital. Uh, and when we ran, when we were sort of getting ready to do that first book and doing the crowdfunding campaign, we wanted to offer original illustrations as a product that people could buy. So it sort of forced me to go back to creating a whole artwork, you know, foreground, background characters, all on one flat piece of paper, which is, is more challenging than doing it in pieces and sticking it together in, on the computer. So I actually had to spend a reasonable amount of time when I started Leonard um, just practicing creating an artwork from start to finish on paper and also stylistically making those choices as to how the whole book would sort of look um, and the technique I would use. So that all actually took a reasonable amount of time. So during Lila, just I could cut all of that out because it basically did have to be a follow-on from Leonard. So there was no aesthetic decisions that had to be made. Um, and I think my style has evolved a little bit since Leonard, but hopefully it's sort of a fairly natural progression that's not too different from the first one. But no, I found the second book. I did the second book in probably a third of the time that I did Leonard in. Picking up illustration, Eloise, specifically in in children's books was it a breath of fresh air for your career you've been doing textile design for a little while was it a nice change up just to to diversify a little bit yeah it was and it was something i had always had in the back of my mind to do but may never have actually got around to doing had jody not approached me and it did yeah as i said it did force me to go back and, and create whole images on on one flat piece of paper um, and so it did, yeah, it sort of, it, it, it changed things, I think, for me, um, even now, I'm much more willing to just um, create an entire piece of artwork from start to finish by hand, which is fairly uncommon these days as an illustrator and designer. Um, mostly it's done on the computer um, in various programs. Yeah, so that definitely, it definitely changed the way I work in a, in a permanent kind of way, I think. Um, yeah. And you mentioned to me before our chat, Eloise, that you enjoy the physical process of working with paints and other mediums. 
um, and really kind of immersing yourself into that creative journey. Does it provide a sense of escape or do you kind of go into what they refer to as flow when you are working on either textile design or illustration? Yeah, sometimes I definitely do. And it probably does happen uh, more with something like a kid's book where you sort of, you are working on one piece of work that is actually going to take you a reasonable amount of time to complete. So with textile design, I'm often jumping between, you know, I'll do a bit of work on one brief and then I'll send that off to get um, looked at by whoever I'm doing the work for. And so I'm sort of jumping around between, between jobs and waiting to hear back from people. And so you don't necessarily get into that kind of total creative zone while you're doing that. But yeah, I definitely do when I'm painting, uh, yeah, a, a sort of a fairly detailed image that takes a while. Yeah, I can absolutely get into a, a zone, a really intense concentration zone. Um, where it's all just happening really easily and yeah it's it's a it's it's, um, it's probably going too far to describe it as an out-of-body experience but there is something almost a little bit like that where you're sort of standing outside of yourself just watching it happen a little bit. I asked the question of Jodie when she was on the podcast from a, a writing perspective about how much of it's discipline, you know, the days that you just don't feel like writing for, for Jodie, she, it was just a matter of getting down and putting pen on paper. Do you have that same approach with your illustration? Is it a matter of staying disciplined or do you need to wait for that kind of creative wave to hit you? No, I don't have time to wait for any creative wave to hit me, unfortunately. Because <laughs> uh, I I'm mostly, I do the bulk of my work between school drop-off and school pick-up and then whatever other energy I have after my kids have gone to bed, which I have to actually draw on quite a bit because I can't get everything done in those in those school hours. So I absolutely push through regardless of how I'm feeling and I am um, I'm incredibly... Um, efficient time-wise like I don't procrastinate I never have and it's I just don't have time to procrastinate but there are absolutely some days where I uh, work and I feel like I have never painted anything in my life or, or join anything and I think how did I end up doing this I don't know how to do this I'm a fraud I'm a complete fraud and it is quite depressing at the end of those days I think oh what am I doing is there something else I should be doing with my life um, and then the next day you start all over again and it all happens perfectly. And I, and so I don't know why it is on those days that sometimes it is, it's just like, you know, like you've never done it before. I wish I knew because I'd try and eliminate those days if I could, but yeah, I, you, you just have to push through and probably pushing through is what actually makes you have a good day the next day, to be honest. I, I yeah, I'm, yeah waiting for inspiration to strike. I've never been fortunate enough to be in a position to be able to do that. <laughs> Over the course of your career, Eloise, have you felt the pressure, again, internally or externally, to kind of get that normal, and I'll use inverted commas, nine to five job? So, no. So, I mean, when I, when I graduated from textile design, I, it was a nine to five job that I did go into the office and, and do. So, so textile design, I suppose, has always kind of felt like a nine, nine to five job, as has illustration. And that, that, that's not a bad feeling like that, that, that works for me. Um, I think I've had, I, you know, I, I had two children, uh, 
so my eldest is nine. So, you know, that having, trying to kind of um, manage family and work is absolutely incredibly difficult and tricky. So um, there's been big chunks of time where my um, design work and illustration work hasn't been nine to five. It's been sort of around, um, you know, small children. Um, but no, I mean, I've, I haven't, I haven't at any point gone and got another job in a in a sort of an unrelated industry so that I can keep my creative stuff as a as a passion. Um, it's always it's always worked for me for that to be my main my main job and my main source of income. Um, there's been a few things I've done along the way that have sort of um, I I did some. Um, kids puzzles a few years ago where I was doing the artwork for them but I was also producing them and, and selling them as a product and I found that um, by the time I decided to stop doing that I was largely packing boxes and sending emails and so I sort of realized that it was completely taking me away from the part of the job that I liked and I wasn't getting any time to do the new designs for the new products because it was all consuming marketing and, and selling, selling them. So that was a sort of a variation, but that was good. It kind of made me realize what it was I wanted to do. So I, I came back after that and focused strictly on the design and illustration side of things. Um, and so now, you know, now 90% of my day is actually just creating um, artwork, uh, designs and illustration, yeah. yeah. Louise, do you often reflect on your career up until this point, even going back to, you know, leaving Queensland, going into state, studying, picking up your first job, connecting with Jodie on this, on the children's book, do you reflect on the journey to this point? Yeah, I do. And I think that, I think that I often, if I, I sometimes wish that I'd figured things out quicker. Like I think, I feel like it's sort of taken me uh, probably longer than it takes a lot of people to work out um, what it is that they specifically want to um, focus on. So even though I did discover textile design quite, quite early on, I sort of, I, I probably spent too long um, working for other people and and then I sort of, yeah, I deviated and, and did sort of products for a little while. And so I suppose they are all things that I had to do to work out exactly what it is that I want to focus on in the form of, yeah, kids illustration, illustration generally, and then um, and textile design. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I feel like I've got there. I have got there now. Um, but yeah, I think it, it has perhaps taken me slightly longer than I would have liked it to. Do you believe in life that we find ourselves or we create ourselves? Like, do you think the path is laid out for everyone or you have to make decisions? You have to take ownership of, of your life decisions to, to shape where you end up? Yeah, I think you definitely have to take ownership of your life decisions. Yeah, I mean, who knows what I'd be doing if I, if I hadn't sort of done that. I don't, I, I don't think anything happened. Well, things probably happened, but... I think you could probably end up a long way from where you wanted to be if you just sort of let things happen. I think you very much have to make decisions and work towards them. And, and obviously sometimes those decisions are not the right decisions, but I think, yeah, that all those decisions probably help you, you know, working out what you don't want is as important as working out what you do want. Cause I think, yeah, 
working out what you don't want kind of tells you what you do want in a way. Yeah. And again, reflecting on the career, those choices you've made, the learnings you've, you've picked up along the way. Do you have advice for other creatives who are maybe, you know, 10, 15 years prior to you, maybe they're starting out on their journey. What advice would you be looking to pass on? Experience working for other people. I think in textile design, it's probably harder to do in illustration because illustration is very much a solo sort of profession where you make a name for yourself based on your personal style um, and people decide whether or not they like it. And it, it's hard to go. You can't just go and work for an illustration firm. I don't even know if that actually exists. But as a textile designer, you, you can absolutely go and work for... Um, you know, either a, a textile design studio or a fashion label or a homewares label or an interior, you know, design label or whatever it is and get experience. And I think from the practical perspective, um, that is crucial to understanding how the industry works and knowing specific things about how to design for your industry. So I do think getting, getting some experience um, with some other uh, with another company is really important. Uh, but then I also think that it's important to go off and do your own thing. And Eloise, what's next for you? What's next on the, the journey is, uh, through your textile design and illustration work? Uh, that is a great question. Um, well, this, so this year I, I have, I'm just doing my third kids book uh, for the year, which is, um, an all-time record for me. <laughs> so I don't know, actually. I mean, I find um, I find kids' books there. It's a really intense process uh, because it's a big, you know, it's a job that lasts a couple of months usually to do, and you obviously you've got deadlines uh, that you're working towards. So it's quite an intense um, experience, kind of getting this large body of work together and finished by a certain time frame. So I feel like three books in this in the last well, it's kind of like the last six months actually um, has been quite full on. Um, so I'm not sure if what's on the horizon, and that could just be a complete anomaly that I've just had three books sort of come happen so soon, uh, so close together. Um, uh, but yeah, definitely just working on more more textile work and also my own my own sort of um, textile work and my own. Um, uh, illustrations. Um, it's, I think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm assuming that it will be a similar formula to this year, just kind of meshing all those things together and whatever order they come. Um, actually, I'm doing a mural, I'm painting a mural. I'm going to do that at the beginning of the year. I've never done a mural before, so that's going to be interesting. But yeah, I don't, I don't have any particular plans or goals for next year. Hopefully, hopefully the work will just keep coming. And how do people find out more and check out your work online? Is it website, social media? What's the best way to, to get in touch? Uh, yeah, probably my website has sort of a good overview of, of everything that I do. Um, but probably I'm most active on Instagram. Uh, I tend to update that the most regularly with new work. So, you know, if people, yeah, if people want to see new work as I do it, as it comes through, that is probably the best place to see it. I'm probably a little bit slack with updating my blog on my website. So yeah, Instagram is probably the best place. 
Eloise, a big, big thank you for being a part of the Passion and Perspective podcast and for sharing your story. Wishing you all the best. Thanks, Jonathan. It's been lovely chatting to you. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by the Western Weekender.